0: Okay, good morning. Today's daf is daf in bays. Today's shoes um, for a rafuah Shleim of Yechiel Moshe ben Chana and a complete and speedy recovery. It's also Le'ilu um, Nishmas ben Sion ben Zeev Malevi, and Tzvi ben Sion ben Yisrael. May the Nishomas have an aliyah. We remember yesterday we were learning, we mentioned in the Mishnah the Big Day Kahuna, and we said that the Kohen Godal wears eight, and the regular Kohen wears four. So we mentioned the four that the regular Kohen wears, and then the additional four that the Kohen Godal wears. And we also mentioned that the Kohen Godal, that when the Kohen Godal is wearing his, well firstly for the Kohen Godal to, to avoid it he has to be wearing all eight, and also when he's wearing his eight garments then you can consult the Urim and um, that's the Mishnah. And then we went into, we said that, we, we brought a bracer which said when you see the word um, shesh, which we generally translate as linen, it means it must be sixfold. You take six threads and twine them together to weave the begadim. And then it said, um means eight. That's by the me'il. Uh, so we said mosor means eight. The Me'il had to be 12 threads, the Paroiches 24, the Choshen and twenty and 28. And then we were going through each one. What's the source for that? So we were at the bottom of Ayn Alephamud Amud Beis, 71b, uh, regarding the Me'il. So the Me'il Schneim or Saminolon. Where do we know that the Me'il's threads had to be made of 12 strands? So he says, um, So, as it's written, for the Me'il that's for the aifod must be made kelil techelis braided with blue wool ve'yelif techelis mi miparoches and we learn techelis techelis from the curtain. Remember the paroches is the curtain that divides the uh, the kodesh from the kodesh akdashim. So he says ma'ala halan shaysh afkan shaysh just shisha mala halan shisha afkan shisha just as over there when it says by the paroches, it means made with six strands so to here it means six strands but now wait we've got a problem so where do we see 12 so because the word khalil if it says khalil t'cheles khalil can mean braided so you take two threads of two strings of t'cheles two threads of t'cheles that are each made of six and braid them together so that's and that's where you get 12. Oh he says Venail of Mishul over Rimonov, Malahalanch Moiner Avkanch Mone. He says wait, but why don't you learn from the hem, the pomegranates, that ought eight and say so to here? it must be eight. Why do you learn to to the Paroiches rather learn it from its own hem. So he says no don in clemi cleva ain't on in Mi tach shitkli rather learn a vessel from a vessel, either big day kahuna from the paroiches, then learn a vessel from an adornment. The pomegranate at the bottom were an adornment, not a, not the actual kli. He says, says, wait, that doesn't make sense. Rather learn the me'il from another aspect of the me'il, then the me'il from, from the paroiches, something totally different. And he says, no, oh, that's why we have the Pasuk, to apply it to other begotten that don't have six. What's this referring to? So I don't know if you remember in the price yesterday that we said there were five times it says linen in the Pasuk and it was listing the big day kuhura. Um it said uh, where was it? So one second, yeah, Vayasus. It listed them saying linen, linen, linen by each of them. And we learned different things. And one of the things was that one of the kalim, you extend the halacha of Shesh that it must be sixfold to one of the kalim. And that would be how we know that the meal has to be made of six. Then it says, Esrim How do we know that the curtain has to be made from 24. Each thread was made of 24 strings. It says, Dalad de Shisa Shisa. It's four types of materials, each made from six threads. Right, what are the four types of material? So it's Sheish, Lesartreles, that's blue wool, Argamon is generally translated as purple dyed wool, Talas Shoni is red dyed wool, and Sheish, linen. So you take six of each of those and spin it together, and that's how you get your twenty-four threads. And Dana that we don't need to discuss anymore. Then how do we know that the Choshen and the Afot were made from twenty-four? So as the Posuk says, says You shall make the Choshen Mishpat the work of a designer. Like you made the ephod, and then it lists the materials. It must have gold threads, blue wool threads, purple wool threads, red wool threads, and linen threads. Arba Four of the materials are made out of six strands each, so that's twenty-four. arba havu, arba, and you would take um, four gold strands. So we have 28. You have the regular materials, the linen and the three, three types of wool that were each of six strands threads and wind them So you get 24 and then the gold would be four. So Why do you say that the gold was a four, four strands of gold? Maybe it was six strands of gold. Like all the others. It's six strands to make tailor, six strands to make shesh, six strands to make argamon. We should say the same thing with the gold. So on oh, my proverb, a kid says Pisilim. It says you will cut the strands. He says psil, psilim. Psil means two because it means... Uh, um, Span together, so Psilim would mean four Harekan kandalad. Ravashi, oh my Ravashi gives a different source. He says, "Oh my brother, the pasuk says la'soch b'soichatrei lechu ha-argaman. It says, "You shall make it in the blue wool and in the gold wool." so, and if the post continues, a a So the gold the gold strands are made amongst the other strands now if you want to tell me that there should be six strands of gold like the others arba de if you want to say four with two strands of gold each i cuz they're four types. so sorry so what's the positive telling us the positive tells us that you take these gold strands they would beat out the gold very thin and then cut it into strands and weave it with the material. But it says, you put some of the gold in the blue, some of the gold in the purple, some of the gold in the red, and so, and, and threads of gold in the linen, which was I think a white or a slightly off white. So he says, so if you're going to say, put two gold threads through each of them, Havel that's eight. And remember we know that there can't be eight because then you get more than twenty um, then you get thirty-two. So de tray vetray So maybe you make two of two and two 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 of those types. Let's just say Thales and Argamon, you put two threads of gold in, and the Sola Shani and the sheish. you put one thread in the call us They have to all be equal. So it can't be six like the other threads because then you don't, then you won't be able to distribute the gold evenly amongst the other four materials, six can't be distributed amongst four, and therefore it must be that there are four. The minimum, again it doesn't tell us how much gold but it must be enough gold for a strand of gold in each of the materials. So that is how we know the Choshen and the Um. Just interesting, once we mentioned the A foot. So, as we said, as I showed the picture yesterday, the A foot was like that backwards apron. I mean, I don't think that's how the colorful threads are. Uh, went together, but that's the the pattern of the ephod. It was like as you can as I said it was backwards This would be worn on the back and it would be tied with these in the front And then this would go up and this chain would hook over and it would clip to the Choshen, the breastplate so that um, There's a famous story that it's not so easy to read the words of the Khomash and see how that is designed There's a story that once Rashi was walking along and he was and, and, and a, a woman rode bar a noble a French noblewoman rode bar, and he was like looking, staring at her, so all his students were very bewildered were like what 's Rashi it's so unlike Rashi to stare at a noblewoman riding bar and then uh, and then he like said, "Oh, I realize that 's what the aphod looks like that uh, that uh, overcoat, that apron that uh, fancy garment she 's wearing that 's what the Aphod looked like, so that 's where that 's what rashi uh, and that's how he says it uh, in the Chumash. if I remember correctly, he says that it's it's described like woman, uh, like the ape the, the, aphor, the aphor is similar to what women wear. Um, okay, let's carry on. Omar Rahva, Rav Yehuda. Rahva said in the name of Ravyhuda, Hamakare Big Day Kahuna Loike. Someone who tears the big day kahuna gets lashed. Shinema, as the posuk says, Loyikare, you shall not tear them. Who says that? What's the posuk saying? Maybe the Torah is saying, Make a hem so that it doesn't tear. The context of the posuk is regarding the me'il. It says, so remember the me'il is that robe. So he puts his head through the hole in the middle of the top of the robe. Um, so it says, Make a hem around it, Lo so, yikore. So maybe he's saying, make the hem so that it doesn't tear. Who says it means that if you do tear them, that you're liable. So Amar Elazar I one. He says, no. The Apostle doesn't say, make this hem so that it doesn't tear. It says, make the hem, dot, dot, dot don't tear it. So we see it's a negative commandment to tear it. Um, There's a big discussion here because where is this pasuk written? This pasuk is written by the me'il. So does this halacha of you're not allowed to tear the big day kahuna apply to just the me'il or to all the others? Um, The Rambam has a very strange way of uh, when he says this halacha he says it in a very interesting way. He says you're not allowed to tear the me'il or any of the other big day kahuna in a destructive way. So is he saying that the me'il you're not allowed to tear at all, whatever your motivation is, and the other big day kahuna you're only not allowed to tear if it's destructive? Or is it just the way that the Rambam's formulating uh, formulating it? Where does he see that distinction to add in that if it's the other begotten, it shouldn't be a destructive tear? I mean, an example of a tear that would be... Constructive would be let's say it gets a little hole in. Now you can't just pull the hole and sew it together because then it uh, um, then it pulls and it crinkles on the outside. What you have to do is uh, you have to tear a long slit and and fold them over a little bit. Um, I think what do they call it a dart? In I think a tailor calls it a dart. I once had a torn shirt uh, jacket and I asked him if you could do anything. He said we can do a dart, but it's a thin material. Whatever, um, you know they they do a slit and then they sew it along. So that would be constructive. Um, here, here it doesn't say whether it's constructive or destructive to tear the... What it, when it's discussing the meal. Um. And I guess there's reasons for us to say either way. Maybe it is only a problem if it's destructive because that would make more sense. But on the other hand, it says, you're not allowed to tear it at all. And then, where does the Rambam see? To learn that regarding, or make a distinction regarding other kalim. Okay, let's carry on. When it says, Rabbi Rabbi ozah says, hey, ma'ala Someone who loosens the Choshen from the eiford. As I said, remember, there are those shoulder straps that come up over on the eiford, and the Choshen clips to them at the top. Now, if you loosen that, that's the one problem. Over, Hamesir Bade Aron or someone who removes the poles of the Aaron. Loike he gets lashed. as the Pasak says, you, the suru The says you're not allowed to loosen it or you're not allowed to remove them, the poles of the Aaron. Um Is there. if you look at, at that picture, those are the poles of the iron we're referring to. They were used to carry it, so they were slotted into rings that were made on each of the corner of the iron, and the poles went through it. So, you are not allowed to remove the poles from those rings from the iron. So, this might give Bariakov, Rav Bariakov challenges. He says, May Who says that it's saying you are not allowed to loosen the choshan from the aford, or you are not allowed to remove the poles. Maybe it's just saying it's do it, make it firm, make it strong, attach it well so that it doesn't come undone or do not or that the poles do not slip out. So the Gemara says, No, The Psukim don't say, So that it doesn't. Aye, so that it doesn't become loose. Which would be exactly as you said then, Do it tight, Do it strong, Do it, uh, um, Make it well, So that it doesn't become loose. What the Pasuk actually just says is, Put them in, etc. And, Just for example, says, the rings of the Aaron, you shall put the poles in the rings, don't remove them. It doesn't say, so that you shall not, so that they don't get removed, or so that you don't remove them. It says, don't remove them. So we see, so therefore, it's a negative commandment to remove them. Rabbi Yoisi Barchanina raised the contradiction between two psukim. It says the In the rings of the Aaron, the poles shall be, don't remove them from it. And then it's written, I'm going to change the posuk slightly. It says, You will slot the poles into the rings. Sorry. Um, um, How do you do this? The first posuk tells us you're not allowed to take them out. And the second p'sukim implies that you put them in. And I put them in and take them out. So how do you resolve the two p'sukim? So misparkim v'ein nishmatim. No, they could. They were loose. They were detachable. But you were not allowed to remove them. Right, so that's the haloch. And Tanya Nami Hachi, we have a bris which says the same thing. But tabasa Aaron yihu habadim. The the poles shall be in the rings of the Aaron. You might have thought that they are fixed in that they cannot move. You will put the poles in the rings. Just telling us that you must put the poles in the in the rings. Maybe you're allowed to take, put them in and take them out, etc. Says so no. Talmud Leima, but in Arin badim. That the, badim must remain in the poles, uh, the poles. Sorry, the poles must remain in the rings. He says okay, So how do you, how do, again, how do you do this? You have this contradiction that seems to imply that you can put them in and out, and no problem. And the other one implies that they must, they have to stay there. So the Gemara answers no, Misparkim the Baris explains, mispar-kim shmatim, they are put in and they are not but they are not removed. I they they, they constructed in a way that you can detach them, that you could take the poles out, but you wouldn't. It would be a negative commandment to remove them. Um, Rashi explains, just interesting, says Echot, <laughs> As she says, the poles were designed that they were thicker on the ends. So you could force them through the rings. But once they were in the rings and it was thinner in the middle, you could, they could be moved and slid along. And theoretically, you could pull them hard and get them out force them through the rings again, but, you, but that would be a negative commandment that you wouldn't do. So very interesting how Rashi explains both the... Like, I'm, I'm trying to think where he gets it from, but that they were, they were fixed in, so, um, fixed in, and that was... But again, they could come out, but again, you wouldn't be allowed to, and they wouldn't just fall out because it was thicker on the ends of the poles, which wouldn't fit easily through the rings. Okay, Omar of Khamer Berebi of asked... by the poles of the beams, sorry by the beams the beams that would make up the temple the walls of the mishkan it says they must be of cedar wood standing It was made up... The walls of the Mishkan were made up with a whole lot of beams. They were wood, I'd say shitim, gold-plated. Okay, and then they had a hole in the middle for a pole to go through to clip them and uh, silver sockets to support them at the base. Um, So those... And then they would clip together... We'd clip them together to make the walls of the Mishkan. The... uh, like that, and obviously there's the pole going through the middle and the poles on the outside, clipping them together. So so it says that they were made of cedarwood standing. Now obviously you would stand up these poles to make the mishkan, to make the walls of the mishkan. Why does it have to tell us? Just tell us, uh, make them up. So it says, that they must be standing the way they grow. Uh, interesting, the top of the tree... Must of the trunk, like I imagine I I'm made from trunk or thick branches, must be the top of the branch. And the bottom of the... Um, must be the top of the, the beam. And the bottom of the beam must be what was, when it was growing on the tree, closer to the ground. I so the, the beams as they stood up would have been the same way that they were growing. Interesting enough, where's another halocha where we see this? Balula v'nesrog. And that's where we actually learn it from. Is that we we learn that it must be directy and the way it grows, and that's why when you're shaking your lulav, you must be careful that everything's the right way up. That the bottom of the stem is facing downwards. That's why we turn, and that's the complication with the esrog, because if when you pick up the lulav and esrog and you're holding it all the right way, well then you've done the mitzvah. So we turn. The, so what we do is we turn the esrog upside so down. You don't fulfill the mitzvah because it's not. Tereh Gidulam, the way you grow it. And then you say the bracha and you turn it the right way around and you shake it to fulfill the mitzvah after having said the bracha. That's another whole discussion that we say brachas before we do the mitzvahs. And then, um, I mean, interestingly, another possibility that the Vum brings there is that you actually just pick it up with in mind that you're not fulfilling the mitzvah. If you're carrying it with intent to not fulfill your mitzvah, you don't fulfill the mitzvah. And then you would... Um, Give it to the co- and then you would have in mind after the bracha that you are doing the mitzvah. He actually learns you don't have to switch the etrog around. But again, that's this halacha um, derekidi You can also ask the question. I guess what about other kelim? Did the Mizbah, the wood used for the Mizbah, did that also have to be Derek luson? That the bottom of the Mizbach was the bottom of the would have been the bottom of the tree and the top to um, facing upwards. I'm, I'm not sure. I was wondering about that, but I'm not sure. Another another explanation of standing, it means that they stand up. They support the covering. The gold cover wasn't, it wasn't gold plated that it stuck to it. It was actually nailed on. You might say that once they put the Mishkan into Gnizah, once they stopped using it, their hope would be lost and their. Chance would be ruined. That they exist forever. I, I'm not sure exactly what it means. That there's something to do. That the Mishkan's glory will be restored. I don't know what it means or when exactly that would be. Or maybe it's just saying that there's a miracle that the beams of the Mishkan would never ever rot. But I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean that was another pshat. Um, the Rashi gives, sorry, Rashi gives two pshat when it says that it supports its cover, it supports the gold. One pshat is that it's nailed on, the gold was nailed on, it was held held in place. And another pshat Rashi gives is that they would never ever rot, that they would crumble and the gold would fall off. They would always remain uh, good sturdy uh, beans. Okay, let's carry on. Rebbe Chambach Hanina says, What does the Pozum mean when it says big day hashrad the sorry, to serve in the holy. According to Rashi, Big Day Shrad means the packing cloth. Remember when they used to transport the Mishkan, they used to wrap all the kalim in cloth. So that's what Rashi says Big Day Shrad is. Uh, the Ramban over there says it's referring to the Big Day Kahuna. Here it seems to fit better if you say the Big Day Kahuna. So let's look. So Big Da Shrad, the Shores Pohem, says Alma Big Day Kahuna lo mis. sorry, Ilmale. Big day Kahuna, shall Yisrael, sorry Duplaya, If not for the big day Kahuna, none of the enemies of the Jews, no there would be no remnant of the enemies of the Jews. Now the enemies of the Jews, is the euphemism for the Jews. If not for the big day kahuna, remember we've seen elsewhere that the different big day kahuna atone for different averas and different aspects. So if not for that, there would be no no Jews would be left. Rabbi Shmuel Barachmani Omar Devei Rabbi Shimon Rabbi Shmuel said from the prices of, Rabbi, of the Yeshiva of Rabbi Shimon Tana, she Shagardin Oisom Kibriyosom, when they Kibriyosom Mikilehem Um Misridehem mayhem Klum. says, The garments which as they cut them off from their weaving, they were ready to be worn and there would be, they would leave over a little bit. So Misrad, he also learns it as leave over. Uh, so, so sorry, so the first chat of Misrad left over means that if not for the Big Day Kohudah there would be no Jews left. Would have been destroyed for, due to our various chas for Shalom. And the second chat is no. The way, they would, the way they would weave them, they would come out perfectly ready. A huge skill to weave. They didn't weave a cloth and then cut it to size and sew it together. They, it was woven in a way that it came out like the me'il was had to have a hole in the middle, so it was woven in one piece of material but in a circle, around so that he could just put it straight on as it was as it came off the loom. However, they did leave over a little bit. Umruday mayhem klum they left over a little bit. It says myhi, what did they leave over? So Rebbe Shimon, says it's referring to the needlework. I hey, what what needlework? It was a little bit. Oh, let's see. May say they picked a kohuna. ein know. Isim oso masem mechat elomase oreg shenem amase oreg. You were not allowed to sew the big daikohuna. They had to be woven, as the pasuk says, masem oreg, woven. So it's Yad No, it's referring to the sleeves. The, the sleeves were woven separately and they were sewn on and they were attached to the beget. I they were sewn on to the beget and they would reach his pieces yad, his palm I So very interesting. So again, you made the Let's just take the meal that blue robe, so you made like the robe part in one piece of material that was around and folded up and had a neck hole etc with a hem and you made the sleeves separately. Now also the sleeves weren't made of a rectangle and then sewn together to make the circle to put the arm through. They were woven in a way that it was one already a sleeve as you took it off the loom it was already the right. Length as you took it off the room. They just left a little bit where you would sew the sleeve to the to the main body of garment. Now we go on to describe the iron. So just show a quick picture It will be a lot easier to understand the Gomorrah if you see the picture first I mean we probably should do it the other way around but basically how the iron was made it was made of it says it must be wood covered in gold so it was made of three boxes um, and out the wooden one, which is the Aron, which is placed in a gold box and in the wooden one was placed another gold one. So it turns out that the wooden one was covered by gold and on top of that went the um the, kapoires, the lid. So let's just see that inside. So Omar Rafa, Omer of Yehudah, Shalosh, Aronosh, Ossabitzalah. But Salo made three boxes. And shall tisha. The middle one of was made of wood and it was nine t'vorchem high. Pnimi shall zov shmoyna. And the inner one was made of gold and it was nine high. Uh, eight t'vorchem The reason is, as we're going to see, because the base of the middle one was one tefach. So if you have nine t'vorchem on the outside, on the inside, and at the base is one tevach, you only have eight t'vorchem on the inside. So that's why this inner gold was eight um was eight to fit perfectly into the middle one into the yo, into the middle one. And Sorry, I think was chitzon which was also gold, was ten and a bit. Of a hotanya but isn't there a price which says it was eleven and a bit? I, we said ten and a bit, and the Brahes says eleven and a bit. He says, Loikasha, Ho Omar and Ho commander Omar No, the one who says that it was eleven was according to the opinion that they had, the base was a tefach. And according to the other opinion, it had to be um, that it was ten and a bit was because the base wasn't a tefah. O my mashuhu! Oh, so what do you do with the mashuhu then? There, it was the crown. I'll come back to that but basically so interesting two different ways that the iron was made according to the one version that we mentioned first the outside of the iron was ten tfochim and a bit and the lid was a tefach thick so basically what happened is the lid fit perfectly over the wooden one and the outer box went up just a little bit so that the lid so that it would cover where the lid rested on the in a box, the outer one covered a little bit. It still protruded a bit because it was only 10 and a bit. So it would be, if you look from the side, you would see something like that. You couldn't see where the lid rested on the wooden box. That's the one shot. The other shot is that no, it was a full 11. The, it was one tefach above the middle box and then the lid, when it fitted in, it fitted in perfectly to hide at a tefach. So he says, oh, but according to that, so then why does it say and a bit? So the and a bit was the crown. It was, as we're going to see, there were three Kalim in the Mishkan and in the base of me that had a crown. And it says, Omer Abyochan and There were three crowns Shalmizbath, Aaron, Shulchan. One on the altar, the golden altar, one on the Aaron, and one on the Shulchan. If you look. Yeah. now that crown says Mizbech, Zohar, Aaron, Benotla. the one on the altar was merit, Aaron merited and he took it the crown on the Mizbach represents Kohuna priesthood because the Mizbach is the epitome of the temple service interesting important to remember a key aspect of the Mishkan and the Beis Hamikdash was sacrifices we sometimes forget that and get so caught up but that was in the Aaron and the Luchas, which was another aspect was the key aspect but the primary avoider was around Korbanos. Um, so that's uh, Aaron, the Mizbeth. The crown on the Aaron represented the Kuna. The one on the table, the crown around the table, David merited and took. Kings live an opulent life around their table full of all good um, wealth and delicacies. So the Shulchan represents the kingship, which is David Amelie's family. Shall Aaron, the Aaron, that's still, that's placed for anyone who wants to come and take it. The crown around the Aaron represents Torah. And whoever wants to come and take the crown of Torah can come and take it. Any Jew has the opportunity to become a Talmud Chochem. He says, Shem Atoma Pachazu." Oh, maybe you'll say since it's the one that's most readily available, it's the lowest one. I mean, often exclusivity represents higher a higher level. So, maybe this is better. So, Tabod Lomar, the Torah says, The Torah itself says, Through me kings will rule. Aye, the, the crown of Torah is the greatest crown of all of them. There are many, um, um, there are many Droshes, and in ours it discusses it. It says that there are three crowns, and which level. It says that each crown is requ- acquired through different uh, number of traits. And the crown of Torah requires 48 qualities to acquire the crown of Torah. So the crown of Torah, and as we see a very explicitly in the Gomorrah, is the greatest. So it's quite a, and that's the Raman says, whoever wants, can come, whoever wants to be a tamar khacham, then you have to sacrifice and you have to develop 48 qualities but, and work on those 48 qualities. But then you can acquire the crown of Torah, the greatest crown. And it's not limited to kohanim, it's not limited to uh, kings, not limited to anyone who yeah. ever wants can come and take it. Rabbi Yochanan Romi Ksiv Rabbi Yochanan raised the contradiction Rami Rabbi Yochanan raised the contradiction it says Ksiv Zor but Karinan Zer if you look in the Chumash it's written without the Yud as if it says Zor foreign or strange but it's we know to pronounce it as Zer as a crown so Zor announces Lo Zer Lo Zor Menu. if he merits the Torah will be a crown for him if he does not if he's not deserving, it will become foreign to him. He'll forget it, and it will leave it. Rabbi Yochanan Rami, Rabbi Yochanan raised another contradiction. or. asis Aaron Aids. Moshe, you shall make the Aaron of Eight. It's written, they, B'nai Israel, made the Atei Shittim. So, what do we learn from the fact that Hashem told Moshe, you must make it? And then, when it was made, it was made by the whole of B'nai Israel. We see that regarding a Talmud Chacham, the community, the people of his city should do his work for him. Either they should help him or do a lot of the work for making his parnoster so that he can sit and learn without worry. Um So this is a good I mean this is a good source for a colle collecting money <laughs> That you must just let the Talmidei Chachomim learn and you must work on their behalf. But on the other hand, I mean, there's the famous, famous Rambam where he goes very severely and speaks very harshly about Tamiday Chachomim that just sit and learns. So, okay, so how to resolve that with this Gamore? um interesting question. Then it says, um, So he said, You must cover it inside and outside. Aye, we said it was a wooden box covered in gold. A golden, within a golden box and a gold box in it. So, Om Marav, Tamil Chokham, Cheyen Tochel Kabora, Tamil Any Tamil Chokham whose inside is not like his outside is not a Tamil Chokham. You can't just be a Tamil Chokham on your outside, you have to be sincere, it has to be who you are on the inside. Abaye, Bitaim, Rabba Barula Nikra Nikred Nitav. Abaye, and some say it was Rabba Barula says not only that, he's called despicable. Sheneemar says, Avkinisa, Venelach, Ish Soiseke, Mayim Avlo. Says, Why is there a price? Why is it affordable for the fool to buy wisdom, but he has no heart? Woe to the Tamidei Chachomim who delve into the Torah, but they don't have Yirashamayim. This is a Yo, Mahriz Rebiyana. Rebiyana says, Hevel, whoa, what a pity. I'll delay Darosa Vatira of it. Someone who doesn't have a chotzer, but they build a gate around the chotzer. Uh, uh, but they build, set up a gate. and uh, they just put a gate to nowhere. Someone who learns Torah without Yuroshamaima is a gate to nowhere. He doesn't really have anything of substance. Omarhu Raval Rabonin Bamusa Minayu Lot Gehenim. Robert says, I beseech you, my Talminim, don't, don't earn Gehenim twice. Why? If you try to be a Talmud Chocham, you sacrifice in this world. This world is not going to be as pleasant as if you try, uh, not necessarily going to be as pleasant as if you're a businessman or someone else who's making money and can live more comfortably in this world. And not only that, if you, have, if you don't have Yerusha mind, but you learn Torah, you're not going to get Olam Haba. So you have got to get Gehenim twice. It says, be Yeshua ben Levi, what does the possible mean? Bezoist Torah says Sam Moshe. This is the Torah which Moshe placed. Now why does it use, I mean, I mean this is the famous thing we say at uh, Hagba, but Sam also has the connotations of, if you read it as a Samach instead of a sin, it's a uh, a potion, a, a medicine. He says, If he merits, it's a medicine. If, he does, if he's not deserving, it's a poison. He says, This is what Rava says, If he is skillful with it, it will be a potion for life. And if he is not skillful, it will be a potion for death. Um, there's a very similar Gomorrah in the Gomorrah Shabbos. And it's also Rava. He says the Maiminimbo. Someone who uses his right hand. It will be a Samadachai. And someone who uses his left hand. But along the lines of when you come to learn Torah. You have to be skillful. You have to put in your effort. You have to put in your energy. You can't do it half-hearted. You can't do it with... Uh, you can't... What would be the word? The opposite of skill. You can't... Uh, you can't do sloppy work when you're trying to learn Torah, all that, it will turn into a samad uh, demisa, a poison. Um, you know, interesting, there's a lot to discuss on this, but I think, just some of the main points we see is the importance of sincerity, you be the same person you are on the inside and the outside, if you're trying to be a Talmud Um Interesting, we generally say the the Nefesh, one interesting point, the Nefesh Achayim says, he's, so he's got a whole section on the importance and the value and the centrality of learning Torah in the, as a Jew in our life. And he says there, he basically says, I mean, learning Torah is the ultimate. It's attaching yourself to Hashem in the ultimate way. Um, he says, very interesting, Says when you're learning Torah, what should be your intent? What should be your focus? To understand what you're learning. says, whether you're learning a sugya to do with damages or theft, or whether you're learning a sugya about the holy avoid on Yom Kippur, or whether you're learning... Um, a Sugia of some uh, Kenyan monetary transactions, you know, however superficial it's, however disconnected to kedusha, to our sense of holiness, it sounds, or no matter how it sounds like a your object, your goal should be to try and understand it as best as you can. That's, that's what learning Torah is. And that's what he holds is the ultimate. The ultimate way to connect to Hashem is to learn like that. Um, but interesting, he says you have to remember... Torah and Yerushalayim are connected. You can't have one without the other. And we sadly see that in our history. We see people who have been very wise in Torah, but they don't have Yerushalayim, and they turn out often to be the most evil. Just to go back to Tanakh, go back to the cases of Tanakh, we have Doig HaDoimi, he was one of Shaul's uh, advisors. Super, super... Uh, super, super, huge, huge Tamil Gacham. They bring, he knew, uh, 300 answers to a question that we don't even know one answer to. A uh, phenomenal, phenomenal Talmud Gacham, head of the Sanhedrin. And he turned out to be the most evil, evil person. It seems because he didn't have Yeroshamayim, he just had uh, thing. We found Achir. I'm just going to run through a few examples throughout history, but they're a lot. Achir, the Rebbe of Rebbe Meir. Something went wrong, and he was a huge, and he became a heretic. Okay, it's not so clear why he did but I, w- I would connect it to these drushes of the Yerushalmiim, and even in our town we find people who are known as phenomenal talmidei chachomim, and sadly the acts they do, they make uh, always make front page news, are very very despicable: abuse, uh, what's it, uh, fraud, uh, um, stealing, frauding, uh, de- defrauding charities, you know, terror, and um, so that's again the problem of you can have people who learn Torah and who are on the surface was in Torah. But the problem is, if you don't have Yeroshamayim, it amounts to very little, and not only that, it's a poison. It will be a poison to them, and sadly it seems to be a poison to the rest of society, and when you have people like that. So that's something very important. To, oh, so back to the Nefesh Achaim. So he says, even though he holds, learning Torah is the ultimate way to connect to Hashem, and the ultimate avoider, the ultimate service of Hashem, says when you are learning, you must take off a few minutes now and then to remember that you're doing this for Yerushalayim. Your goal is to build up and improve your Yerushalayim. So I think that's quite a was mind-blowing idea. If you hold Torah to be the ultimate avoider, and yet you still take off a few minutes now and then, or a few moments now and then, to think about the whole point of this is for Yerushalayim to fear of heaven, um, that gives us an idea of how important it is. Let's just do a few more lines. Um Rabbi Shmuel Yonasan raised the contradiction. He says, The laws of Hashem, the Torah, is upright and it brings joy to one's heart. It's refining, it's a, it's a painful process. If he merits it, it will bring him joy. If he doesn't merit it, it will refine him. She says through Yasurin and Gehenim. We can actually learn that from the Possek itself. We don't have to go somewhere else. says, If he's merited, the Torah refines him. If he's deserving, the Torah refines him for life. If he's not deserving, it will refine him for death. The Torah works. Or has an effect, when a person learns Torah, it has an effect on him, it improves him, but it almost, Well, let's say, it amplifies, it amplifies where he's going in his life, but the direction that he's choosing, if he's deserving, it will amplify and grow, and develop, help him develop, into a very good person, and Chas the opposite, if he's, if that's not his path enough. Yurus Hashem Tahirah says fear of Hashem is pure and it stands forever. Omri B'chanina Zeha loy mei Torah but Tahara. This is someone who learns Torah and purity. Mahi noise isha v'achakach loy mei Torah. Someone who gets married and then learns Torah. Eidus Hashem ne'mona the the testimonies of Hashem are faithful. It says Omri B'chanina chiyabarab ne'mona hi l'haid b'lam teo it will testify favorably about those who learn it. Okay, let's just do one last point. We mentioned, because this is still discussing the begotting, they must be the work of a weaver. And but it also says the work of a designer. So what's the difference? It means that they would weave where they designed it. They would mark the cloth and they would put the design, mark the design on the cloth and then weave it. And Tanim Ishmael the Rebbeinu Chaim, no know, Roikem Mechet the Fichoch parts of Eretz. No, when it says Roikem in the Chumash, like by the Paroiches, it's 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 the work with it's done with the needle, and therefore you can see the design. But it's the same design from both sides. So if it's a lion on the one side of the curtain, it will be a lion on the other side, etc. It says Choyshayf, but when it uses the word Choyshayf, Masem Orek, that's woven the Fichoch Stei partsufos you can have two different faces you could have a lion on one side and an eagle on the other side etc okay those are different ways of the design of the designs in the mishkan and we'll leave it there for today